Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is season five. We thank you for listening to the show. Well, howdy, howdy, friends and neighbors. This is your old pal, El Monte Slim. And this is Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you, El Monte. This week... We have some interesting stories for you, I hope. Starting off, Peter Aykroyd, father of the famed comic actor Dan, isn't afraid of ghosts. Even when the long-deceased spirits of Ming Dynasty Chinese, ancient Egyptian princes, and the family's 18th century patriarch, Samuel Aykroyd I, called out to him as a young boy in Ontario, Peter says he felt no fear. Why should he have? Ever since he was eight years old, purported communication with the dead was a regular occurrence, part of a long series of seances conducted by his grandfather, Dr. Samuel A. Ackroyd, a dentist with a side career as a psychic investigator, and the family medium, Walter Ashurst, who would channel the spirit's voices through his body. Even extraordinary things in life experienced enough become commonplace. If you see a ghost ten times, it's like the family pet, the younger Aykroyd interrupted, completing his father's sentence. Dr. Aykroyd's research into the paranormal continued with his son, who sought to create the first device capable of capturing ghostly voices, only to be told by the ghosts themselves that such a contraption was impossible to build. Peter participated in the family's rituals and Dan continued the legacy by creating Ghostbusters, a movie rich in the details and vocabulary of the family's paranormal trade and filled with gadgets and gizmos of the type his ancestors tried to invent. The tale of the Aykroyd's four-generation obsession with the occult as well as the psychic investigators who inspired them is detailed in Peter's newly released book, A History of Ghosts, the true story of seances, mediums, ghosts, and ghostbusters. It's a subject dear to Dan, who grew up listening to tales of his great-grandfather's experiments and reading journals from the American Society for Psychical Research the premier organization for supernatural studies since 1885, 
The academic approach employed by his ancestors and by figures such as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and ghost hunter Hans Holzer led him to develop the core concept for Ghostbusters, a group of bookish researchers fighting ghosts using modern science. It was around the time that I had just finished Saturday Night Live and I read an article on quantum physics and parapsychology in the ASPR and said, why not marry the actual scientific discipline of psychic research to an old style comedy, he said. Dan, a wholehearted believer in the world of spirits, found a perfect writing partner in Harold Ramis, who believed in nothing of the sort, but had a detailed if skeptical knowledge of the occult. Ramis's interest in early civilizations also helped round out the main plot of the 84 film, in which an ancient Sumerian cult tries to summon an evil god. Even though he wasn't a believer, we were definitely speaking the same language as Ghostbusters, Aykroyd said. He knows all about parapsychology. He had all the references, all the terms, all without me giving them to him. Peter said he was elated with early drafts of the script, especially the opening scene in which a ghost wreaks havoc in the New York Public Library. It was a pure poltergeist phenomenon and absolutely true to form, he said. Let's face it, he was writing this thing from conviction. There was a truth in that, even though it seemed fantastic. He did, however, have problems with the film's now iconic ending, which featured the King Kong-sized Stay Puft Marshmallow Man rampaging about a block away from where he now sat. I thought it wouldn't play, he said, but that was a mistake on my part. I knew it would work, Dan said, breaking a satisfied grin. Powered by Aykroyd and Ramis's high-concept premise, memorable performances by romantic leads Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver, and astounding special effects, the film became the most successful comedy in history and spawned a cult of worshippers who still shadow Aykroyd to this day. He and Peter recalled how, at a recent reading, they were confronted with fans in full Ghostbusters regalia, including uniforms and proton packs. Some fans have even been known to trick out their cars to mimic the Ghostbusters' famous ride, a converted Cadillac named Ecto-1. But it should be easy enough for the Aykroyds to relate to the movie's worshippers, given their enthusiasm for all things ghostly. Both Dan and Peter are true believers, all too happy to discuss the many technical details and historical figures associated with the world beyond many of whom are described in A History of Ghosts. Dan himself is no stranger to purported paranormal activity. Once, while sitting in a family farmhouse he had planned to tear down, he says he felt a massive jolt of electricity and witnessed pops and sparks all around him. It was just like I'd been struck by lightning, he recalled. He later identified the, the occurrence in psychic literature as supernatural arcing, Whatever the cause, it was enough to convince him to renovate the farmhouse rather than knock it down. Like Dr. Aykroyd before them, the pair hopes one day to see documented proof of the holy grail of ghost hunting, a materialization, a phenomenon described by spiritualists in which ghostly forms composed of ectoplasm, the slimy substance made famous by Ghostbusters, emerge from mediums. 
He so wanted to have that happen, Peter said of his grandfather, who never experienced such an event. He blamed negative energy from skeptical seance goers and a lack of proper materials to focus their medium's powers for the failure to bring about a physical ghost. Dan says he thinks further research on materializations and apparitions is needed to complete his great-grandfather's legacy. I would like to see more hard physicists come in and start to analyze what's going on, the younger Ackroyd said. Are oxygen and nitrogen and hydrogen molecules coalescing to produce these visions in front of people? I'd love it if some research were done on materialization, which is the most exciting part of this, where full-formed limbs come out of a medium's mouth and even a full-formed body. It would be nice to get some DNA and see if it's the DNA of the person exuding this mass of ectoplasm or the DNA of another being. Listening to Dan excitedly rattle off a flurry of technical jargon and individual case studies, it's impossible not to think of his Ghostbusters character, Ray Stance, who giddily delivers dense lines about whether the ionization rate is constant for all ectoplasmic entities, and congratulates Lewis Tully, played by Rick Moranis, for surviving the biggest interdimensional cross-rip since the Tunguska blast of 1909 while noting that Stance is a scientist and that he himself is an entertainer, Aykroyd acknowledges that the two share a passionate fascination and enthusiasm for the activities of beings and entities that are beyond our plane of existence. He added, and what red-blooded North American boy wouldn't embrace a good ghost story, right? Personally, as a fan of both Ghostbusters films and a grudging fan of the female Ghostbusters movie. I enjoy movies which tell a good believable story, one that entertains as well as possibly educates. I'm not saying that I believe everything that Ghostbusters deals with, but having had my own ghost-related experiences, I'm not too quick to dismiss much of what the movie exposes as possible. If you don't believe in ghosts by now, I hate to break it to you, but these creepy celebrity encounters may help prove otherwise. Grab the popcorn, a blanket, maybe even a friend or two for moral support, because here are some ghost stories told by celebrities. Ever able to inject a little humor into a somewhat serious moment, superstar singer Cher thinks her late husband Sonny who died in 1998, is haunting her till this day. I love ghosts. I actually think that Sonny makes a light go on, she said. I have a beautiful chandelier that he makes the light go on when it's impossible because there's no power on. I love ghosts. I prefer ghosts to some people. Same here, Cher. Same here. Cynthia Rowley, who is a fashion designer, was on a show that was actually called Celebrity Ghost Stories. Have you ever seen it? And yes, they were real stories, real people. Raleigh, like I said, who is a fashion designer, recalled a terrifying incident related to her Greenwich, Connecticut estate on the show. The feeling in the house was much more ghost-like, the designer said. She would see this sort of apparition in the corner of a room of a lady wearing a scarf over her face. 
One time, Rowley escaped a fire in the home, and the local fire chief told her that the woman who once owned the mansion was called the Diamond Match Heiress, the household kitchen matches. Diamond Match Heiress, who was badly burned in a blaze. If you're a person who has an affinity for ghost stories involving coinage, here's one for you. Emma Stone, the young actress, said, Okay, this isn't terrifying, but it's comforting. During an appearance on The Late Show with David Letterman in 2014, Stone revealed the ghost of her late granddad often leaves pocket change for her. There's a long family of history with quarters, she said. My grandfather leaves quarters. It's just amazing. And there are other stories about people finding coins that were that have a personal connection between them and a, a departed family member. Personally, I prefer folding bills with pictures of Benjamin Franklin on them, but that's me. Latoya Jackson, the sister of the supposed King of Pop, often feels her late brother Michael Jackson's presence in their childhood home in Encino, California. It's the strangest thing because you feel something like thick around you or behind you and you're wondering. You don't see anything, but you feel a presence. She also claimed that a security guard heard tap dancing coming from Michael's old room. When he told me, I said, you're kidding. That made me want to know even more about hearing someone tap dance over a certain part of the house. And I go, well, Michael used to do that every Sunday for two hours. We'd go up there and there's no one up there, just tap dancing. And the dog barks at Michael's room window every single night at the same time. The dog doesn't even know that that's Michael's room and the security guard didn't know. Makes Michael's video ghosts all the more fun to watch. Eric Bana, a wonderful actor who's been in a lot of different things, a lot of more action, was in a show called, or movie, called Deliver Us From Evil. And it says he and the crew of the 2014 horror film experienced a haunting on set. I know for a fact that makeup, the special effects team, had some truly scary things occurring, Banna said. They had a ghost in their workshop. There was absolutely no doubt. Some of them would sleep on the floor and it got to the point where they could no longer sleep there. There was no chance. The beautiful actress Bella Thorne reports this unsettling story. I was lying in bed when I saw a shadowy, silvery figure of an old woman creeping across my room. Then it slipped into my closet, she said. I panicked and then jumped out of bed and swung open my closet door to see if she was in there, but she was gone. I was sure I had seen her ghost. It was really freaky. There are those who study the paranormal and in reference to the closet issue, say that spirits use closets as portals. Hence, many sightings reference ghosts and or apparitions either coming out of are going into closets. So parents, if your child comes to you talking about something scary in their closet, you might want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Megan Fox, she who starred in a few of the Transformers movies, says, I believe in everything. Fox admitted to MTV News in 2014, I was just in Mexico at my hotel and it was a bedroom, living room, bedroom sort of thing. I had pre-ordered breakfast for 7.30 and at 7 a.m. I hear them come in with the table. I hear them pouring the coffee, 
30 minutes later at 7.30, I went in there. No table, no coffee, no food, no nothing, no one there. Doorbell rings, I open the door, it's room service with my food. Brandy the nanny comes out of her room later and says, why did room service come at 7 when we told them 7.30? So you can't tell me I'm crazy. Two people heard it. Just remind them they don't get a tip for the first one. James Valentine, who plays for the band Maroon 5, he's a guitarist, claimed he saw a ghost in the L.A. country home of Harry Houdini. I was the only one who ever stayed there the entire time. Valentine revealed on A&E's private sessions in 2008. One night, I was there with my girlfriend at the time, and we were about to go to bed. She went upstairs. There was a hallway that went up to the second and third floors, and I saw somebody walk up, but no one was there. The creator and star of Ghostbusters, Dan Aykroyd, revealed that he has actually had several experiences with ghosts. I saw things moving around on our counter and doors opening and closing. The staff also had experiences, direct contact in terms of tactile touching and then turning around and there's no one there. Someone crawled in bed with me once, he said. I was alone in the house and decided to take a nap. I closed the door to the bedroom but didn't lock it. I woke up in this kind of trance where you don't know whether you're sleeping or not. It's what the abductee feels when he's being taken by aliens, I presume he meant. I saw the door open and I rolled over, looked at the bed, and I saw the depression in the mattress like somebody was getting in there, and I thought, I'm just gonna roll over and snuggle up next to it. Huh. Allison Hannigan, who made a name for herself on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and in the American Pie movies, clearly has her own ghost slaying to do. In 2003, she claimed she lived in a haunted house, but she didn't mind. Hannigan explained, I have a ghost in my house. I saw him a couple of months ago. I don't think he died there because there's a law in L.A. that when you buy a house, if somebody's died there, they have to disclose that, and nobody did. So I don't know why he's there, but he's friendly. My friend saw him first one night. She said, I don't mean to alarm you, but I saw a man follow us out of the house. I said, well, at least he's a gentleman. He let us go first. However, that was not the last Allison saw of the spirit. She continues, later that night, I saw this silhouette of a man standing in the bathroom doorway. I was like, sweetie, what are you doing? I thought it was my fiance, Alexis Denisoff. But then I looked and Alexis was sleeping next to me. I'd love to get his name. I'm thinking of putting a little chalkboard where I think he lives to see if he will write his name down. Wonder if it was better than that one time at band camp. Nicholas Cage, a manly man, is not one you would think of being influenced by ghosts, I guess, but he certainly believes in them, and he even bought a serial killer's home as inspiration for a book. He said, I once lived in the most haunted house in America, the Lollerie Mansion, in New Orleans, used to belong to Madame LaLaurie, a well-known 19th century socialite and serial killer. I bought it in 2007, figuring it would be a good place in which to write the great American horror novel. I didn't get too far with the novel. 
The LaLaurie Mansion is in New Orleans, and it has a long history. If you've read anything about the ghosts and hauntings in New Orleans, there's no doubt you've heard about the LaLaurie Mansion. It's one of the most popular stops on the New Orleans ghost tours. Sometimes people in the city won't even call it that, choosing to refer to 1140 Royal Street as the haunted house instead. The fact is, in New Orleans, the two are the same. Shows like American Horror Story have made an already infamous location that much more notorious. Spoiler, be warned that the producers took great creative liberties as Hollywood tends to do. The majority of the filming happened at the Herman Grima House on St. Louis Street, probably for the best, as people claim that the LaLaurie Mansion is cursed. For almost 200 years, there have been reports of paranormal activity coming from this house. It shouldn't surprise many that many hauntings are attributed to the slaves that Madame LaLaurie kept on the property. There is a room in the mansion where slaves were often kept and reports of moaning coming from that room are common. Phantom footsteps echo through the house with regularity. Many people who have stood near the house have reported feeling as if they were taken over by negative energy. Despite all the ghost stories and paranormal happenings at the LaLaurie house, it would be folly to assume that all of them can be traced back to Madame LaLaurie and her mistreatment of slaves. In 1894, a tenant who lived at the LaLaurie mansion was brutally murdered in his room. They found his belongings ransacked as if someone had gone through them. The police assumed that he was a victim of a robbery, even though nothing of value was found missing. An interesting account regarding this murder deals with the police interviewing neighbors about his disappearance. One of his friends claimed that he was having problems with sprites in his house. His friend wrote it off as his imagination running wild with him, but he did say something interesting. He claimed that his friend told him that there's a demon in the house who wasn't going to rest until he had met his end, which the man did in this house. Is it possible that at least some of the ghostly phenomena can be a result of this brutal murder? It certainly is possible. However, nobody will know for sure until a real paranormal investigation team can investigate this location. Only then, by communicating with the dead who still reside there, can we hope to get to the bottom about the truth of the ghosts of the LaLaurie Mansion. The LaLaurie Mansion was, for a very brief time, also a school for girls during the mid to late 19th century. At first, it had been one of the few mixed schools in the city of New Orleans, but politics during the Reconstruction era was convoluted, and surely enough, Soon after the school at 1140 Royal Street was converted into strictly an all-girls African-American primary school. Within a short amount of time, reports of physical assaults came to light. We know that young girls would approach their teachers, tears streaking down their faces with their sleeves rolled up. The exposed flesh of their forearms was scratched and bruised. Who did this to you, the teachers would demand? The answers were always one and the same that woman. But these girls were young enough to be probably not aware of Madame Delphine and the devastating tragedy some decades earlier. Moreover, it was unlikely that the teachers themselves would, would tell six, seven, or eight-year-olds 
about the starvation and immoral torture of slaves some decades before. One must wonder if the girls were playing pranks on each other or if their claims that some phantom woman had scarred them was true. No memoirs exist from this period, just a scattering of accounts there. Was the spirit of Madame Delphine Lalaurie responsible for the scratches, or was it something else entirely instead? Although not everyone believes in psychics or mediums, there is one particular instance made known to the Ghost City Tours team in which someone on one of the ghost tours happened to be a medium. Throughout the entire night, she had sensed things about various locations before the tour guide even told the story. But within the first sight of the Lalaurie Mansion, the medium sucked in a deep breath. Such sadness, she whispered as she rocked back on her heels. Pulling out her phone, she proceeded to snap a picture of the mansion. The bricked-up window, she went on. That's not where this little girl fell out of. The tour guide paused simply because she hadn't gotten to the part of the story about the little girl at all. Nevertheless, she recovered quickly and said, No, you're right. The story goes that Leia fell into the courtyard. As for the bricked-up window, I suspect that someone did interior decorating but wanted to maintain the symmetry on the outside of the home. In the next few minutes, the medium experienced such a heavy emotion like the weight had settled down on her shoulders. She sensed the spirit of a young boy who liked to play pranks on the living and the spirit of a little girl who was often nervous. Did she feel the helplessness or anger? The tour guide asks. No, was the response. Whatever happened, then with Lalaurie, does not visit the house any longer. Is this true? Have the spirits of the slaves who were once nearly starved to death in the house moved on? And if that is the case, who is responsible for all the reported hauntings at 1140 Royal Street? One guide was lucky enough to experience something at the haunted house. Lucky, of course, is a term used loosely here, very loosely. In one occurrence, this guide was giving a ghost tour. They were at the Lalaurie Mansion, standing just directly across from the front door. To their right, another group was discussing the tragedies of the Lalaurie some 50 feet away. But there, under the quiet moonlight, the story of 1834 was slowly revealed. All of a sudden, the guide felt a tug on her messenger bag that was draped over her shoulder. She stopped amid her story and twisted to look over her shoulder, convinced that she might find a pickpocket or someone intent on stealing her things. Right in the middle of a tour, she exclaimed as she told her story. No one was there, however, so she turned back around and got back into character. No less than 10 seconds later, she felt the tug again, harder this time, a sharp yank. Once again, she whipped around, but no one was there. This time, she told her tour what had happened, and their faces, she said, were priceless. No doubt hers was, too. Two weeks later, at the corner of Governor Nichols and Royal Street, the same guide was put on the streets again, bringing another tour around. The Lalaurie Mansion, of course, was the main hit. She had positioned her group under a set of street lamps, burnt out for weeks. She launched into the story, but the minute she said the name Leah, the lamps flickered on. Everyone in the group paused, a few yelping in delight. The guide went on with the show. When she said the name Leah again, those lamps blew out. The light was gone. 
Was the ghost of Leia still there, still waiting to hear her name spoken? Was the playing with the lights just a method in exposing her presence to the living? Having a ghostly encounter can be a life-changing event for some. For others, it's more of the same in a life already mingling with the paranormal. For me, my encounters, unexplained footsteps, doors opening and closing, voices, and at least one full-figure manifestation are just a few of the many experiences that I have had and keep having. I wouldn't say that I'm particularly sensitive or mediumistic. I don't go hunting for the spirits except in an educational way, doing research and reading for the show. But I have to say, the spirits find me. Maybe the older I get, the closer to that point where I cross through the veil comes nearer and the energies are getting stronger. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories. Nothing in particular, no particular genre, just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments. Or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.